Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earle. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. I'm Amanda Earle. This is episode 66, and I'm here with Gary Barnwin. Hi, Gary. Hi, so great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for being here. I'm uh, really pleased. We're, we're going to talk. Uh, well, I think what we're going to talk a lot about is visual poetry, but who knows what ha- what will happen to us. And uh, we're actually recording this on October 15th, which is my birthday. So this is a special treat for me to have you on the show. So I'm, I'm uh, really. I'm pleased. refraining from singing. I, I'm. I'm. Everything <laughs> in me wants to sing, but I. But I won't. But instead, we can talk. We can talk about a visual medium that seems seems perfectly paradoxical. Perfect so, for your birthday. Thank you very much. So first, I. I. I, norm, I, I was saying just before we started the. Um, just before we started that. Um, I, I normally uh, read people's bios, but I'm trying something new. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting with you, Gary. You're my, you're my guinea pig for the show. For the show. Uh, so um, yeah, instead of having me read your bio, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, um, I recently awarded uh, the Nobel Prize. Um, I um, am amphibious and no, it's actually, it's interesting when you, when, when you ask what about, like what is the relevant things to say about one's yeah. You know, like, is it, I mean, that's the problem with bios, whether it's awards or whether it's um, publications or whether it's where you're from or like what captures what that, what does it mean? What, you know, like I'm a carbon-based life form on on a watery planet on the distant spiral. Like it depends who I'm, you know, um, who, what, what I'm trying to represent about oneself. But um, I am a carbon-based life form who uh, lives on a watery planet um, in actually in Hamilton, Ontario, part of that uh, watery planet. I've lived here for about um, 30 years. Um, and I, I do a lot of different kinds of um, making stuff. So I do um, poetry, fiction, visual work, music, um, play, um, and things. And I publish many kinds of um, things in books and in chapbooks and online. Um, uh, audio, visual, um, and text work. And lately I've done a lot of teaching writing too. I've been writing in residence at a number of places. Um, and um, um, I'm not sure what else, but I will say that, you know, just before I did this, I was out talking to my daughter. I'm, I live at home with my um, um, my wife and my, uh, I, depending, two or three kids are at home, depending, or adults, um, more because of the pandemic, but I was talking to my daughter who is, a, um, we have lots of really interesting conversations because she's a, um, uh, well, cause she's an interesting person, but also because she's doing grad school in sociolinguistics. And it's interesting how oh, great. so much of what she studies overlaps okay. with what I guess we're engaged with as, as um, writers. But she said, so, but um, she was saying, so do you talk about visual poetry as writing? You go sit down to write a visual poem or do you, do you write it or do you, what do you talk about it in those terms or do you make it or what do you do i think that's so i was thinking about that before we started so that's that too is part of my part of my um um uh, biography i think if i was abducted by aliens the first thing i say so what is your notion of visual poetry like yeah they would ask that for sure i think i i I think so yes (laughs) 
That's great. Yeah, I, I, and also I, I'll link to your both your website and your your blog to your Seraph of Nottingham and your and your um, GaryBarwin.com. I'll I'll put the links up on, in the show notes on the site SmallMachineTalks.com as well. And uh, yeah, so that's that's great. Uh, it's interesting that your daughter is in sociolinguistics. I did uh, linguistics as part of my my first uh, my 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 first uh, BA, my, my French uh, degree. And I loved, I mm. love linguistics. It was so interesting and sociolinguistics too. So, and I, I, I've been trying to work towards, or oh, I shouldn't, this is getting into this, but I've been kind of trying to work towards a, a, a kind of a definition of visual poetry that includes, is more inclusive than sort mm -hmm. of, Anyway, for me, anyway, because I'm learning all about and and I was I was sort of going back to socios linguistic sign and and working with that. So that's been fun fun to uh, play with that. That's I mean, I think with all of these things are about the 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 question is the answer, right? I mean, yeah. it's just by by um, if you ask that's it. part of it is playing by the ambiguity, playing by the complexity and the the fact that it can exist on borders and it begs the question, and that's yeah. exactly what's interesting about, so I think fun. any any form, any kind of creative work is, okay, what is this, how is it working, and how does it relate to other ways of writing, and or other ways of creating, and um, and what's the relationship between them, and what, and why this, and not something else, you know, and so, um, one of the, you know, the affordances of the medium, and the way it interacts with how we think of stuff in the world or of creation or of um, material, uh, creative material, I think. So I've been an admirer of yours and a big fan of your work now for uh, many years. I can't even remember when I when I first encountered it. I mean, I must it might have been as early as 2005 or a little bit earlier. Then. Hmm. So um, I love your sense of whimsy, your creativity, your ability not to take yourself too seriously while putting out such a range, depth and breadth of work. So it's a pleasure that you're, that you're on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. So yeah, I guess uh, the first thing I want to mention is um, I listened to your great uh, the uh, Pentarac Press podcast episode with you, your interview with Anthony and uh, Clara, and it was it was great. It was such an interesting, uh, far ranging and fascinating. And so in there, you talked about your fiction, your poetry, and visual poetry, and and you said you see all of your creative work as a continuum rather than separately. Although we're honing more specifically on visual poetry today, um, I think it might be difficult to isolate it from the rest of your practice. For example, I was watching your video, uh, Reverbent Banter and the Marvelous Glitch. I love those videos. Uh, I couldn't help note, and we'll make sure that, that well, they're a part of your, they're on your blog, so we'll make people will be able to take a look. I couldn't help but noticing that the idea of hesitations and imperfections, the flaw was there as it is in the rest of your creative practice. Um, so, and the practice you use on the on the video video of Kaddish Rabbit poetry book um, um, erasure, for example, and superimposing, they remind me of techniques used for visual poetry. So, even in the videos, it feels hmm. like these these are similar techniques. Um, so, yeah, I see all of them as visual poetry. Also, a border blur, the way everything is merging together. The birds in Kaddish acting as a kind of series of moving letters. And I love the psychedelic nature of the rabbit video, which reminds me of the colors for a surrealistic pillow from Jefferson Airplane and White Rabbit. So that was all there for me. It felt like that was the album, you know, I could see it. So can you talk about how visual poetry fits in your creative practice and body of work? Sure. Um, honestly, for me, I don't really see the boundaries between one thing yeah. and another. Um, you know, if I sit down to write a word, well, the word, like, if I'm going to write a poem, I sit down and write a word. Well, is it a visual? Is that visual? Is that oral? What What is it? And I sort of see that see seeping through the physical letter. I can. I don't see you know the sort of the edges of it. So, um, so it makes sense to look at. I mean, it's looking at something from all aspects. So, mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, thinking about, well, either the body or text or language. So um, communication, um, those all have many aspects. So for me, visual poetry is just looking at um, or privileging the, the visual aspect of it, at visual and potentially and, like and not moving. Or not. <laughs> yeah, visual and move. still. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Although, I, I mean, I yeah. don't know what's the difference between visual poetry and then visual poetry that's videos. I mean, no, I don't know, I don't know either. Um, and then visual poetry that has sound or, you yeah. know, um, I mean, I feel like it's all just uh, one little um, dip in, the, in, a, in a river of, of yes. possibility of what we can make. Um, that said, that we have, you know, looking at something visual, looking at visual culture, whether it's especially visual literary culture, like looking mm -hmm. at a book and looking at the way text works. I mean, we do have a certain relationship to that historically and culturally, I guess. And I think um, um, it it's firing off particular parts of our brain, I suppose, which connect right. to certain kinds of experiences. Um, so I guess I'm aware of, of that. And I think about, um, you know, working, working, working in that zone, I guess. But again, I think that um, things can easily go from go across the borders. I don't really believe in, I don't believe in genre nationalism. No, um, not you so. know. Um, so, and I mean, I guess because it, it all it all feels like it's also a potentiality. So, if you see something visual, well, it has a potential for for being sound, or potential for moving, or potential for narrative. Like it all feels like it's in there. So, for me, I really don't make that much of a distinction um, between um, making those things somewhat if you sit down with a certain kind of a tool like if yeah. I had a I don't know bow and arrow I'm more likely to do archery than I am to do shot put because I have <laughs> you know a bow and arrow right. but it doesn't mean that I'm going to be limited necessarily <laughs> by um, huh, by skill or finesse or grace but it doesn't mean I necessarily will you know do archery but you know it's more likely so if I sit I open up Photoshop, it's it's likely I'm going to do things that um, Photoshop allows me to do. But also one of the things I love, and I guess this is talking to your idea about errors, I might plan to do something and then deliberately just be open to not being very good at Photoshop or being able to yeah. get unexpected results and then say, oh, that's cool. I'm going to follow that. And then I will exactly explore yeah. what that means, which also might mean ending up writing something more textual, just depending on how things unfold. I mean, I really like that idea of being open to process and to try and be um, attentive to that. Yeah. Um, which can also mean, I mean, that is, the surprise of mistakes or even just it somehow something connects in my own mind that I want to follow because it just looks interesting or seems engaging in some way. Yeah. Plus with, with Photoshop, because I, that Photoshop is my primary, the primary uh, tool I use for making visual poetry. And they, in the last couple of years, they've been changing it every single, mm -hmm. every single time. And I cannot do things for the, my, my big uh, work, the Vispo Bible. I cannot do the same things in the same way anymore. And I can't like the, the, the first work I did, I couldn't do it the same way anymore. I can't even do that anymore. I have to mm. do different things because they keep changing like the, the way that they do things. And I've also started to play with illustrator lately and, and with mm. illustrator in, instead, like for the Vispo Bible, I make, I use huge swaths of text from the Bible, like the whole chapter uh, from a, a book in, in the Old or New Testament. 
but with the illustrator because I'm just learning how to use individual work with individual letters I'm back to sort of my early visual poetry days of just working with one letter and playing with that letter so I've been making like a what I call vispo haiku which I, I something I got from Donna Mayura actually who, who does uh, visual poetry mm -hmm. haiku as well so I've kind of been just focusing on one or two letters and just playing moving them again so that's because I'm using illustrator sometimes I find the tool also determines what I'm going to do and also inspire is something that, you know, even the oh, part. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it certainly is an improvisation. You know, you've got a trumpet, you're going to, an improvising on a trumpet, you're going to do, see what it, what it can do. And if you're not yeah. highly trained, it may be that you'll do things that um, <laughs> are surprising in the world of trumpet. They're not idiomatic because you're exploring. And I guess I also see the tool as if I was given, say, okay, Gary, write a sonnet. Well, a sonnet has certain, possibility and so when i so mm. if instead of using the form of a sonnet i might be using photoshop so exactly. there's certain things that i might um explore like okay a sonnet i know i'm going to come there's going to be a, a a couplet at the end so i'm you know the poem is leading up to that well in photoshop i'm if i'm using i i can try and use you know a certain kind of um um transformation or something right so i it, it it is guiding me in that way but then i also like with the sonnet would play against the form or play with the form and see see where see what the possibilities are inherent in that form and so i see i see process as a kind of form and is, i see yeah. the tool as a kind of form as well or a constraint um, or a, to work with or against in a way yeah. yeah but also it's it it i mean it's a constraint but i mean it, it i like a constraint, yes, but it's also sort of more, I feel it's more dynamic because of that push mm -hmm. and pull of um, following it, not following it, of trying to do something in relationship to it, but it works out to be something else or, you know, I mean, it just, and it also changes too, because um, the constraint may change because you discover something else or it, it, it um, um, you're, you're working with one set, it's like you're trying to write a, um, a limerick, but you're all, but you're doing it in a sonnet form or something, you know, it just, mm -hmm. You, it, you, your expectations change and so that you you get this kind of complicated um, interference pattern of, of process, form, tool, content, um, and um, particular moment, I think. Yeah, I, th I think that's partly what makes making visual poetry, whatever medium you're using, kind of exciting because all those things are going on in your mind when you're working on them, right? You're thinking about all the different ways in which I mean, it's like it's it's con even if it's still it's still constantly moving in your brain, right? Like thinking about these different ways in which the work actually interacts with whatever you're thinking about, right? So it's got all those different. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Sorry, it's hard. Zoom is always hard. We're talking. We're doing this on Zoom, and it's always hard not to interrupt people. It's not just my toxic masculinity need to dominate. <laughs> it's it's also my uh, my bad zooming. Um, uh, not only, I mean, there's always, I, I want to hold on to my toxic masculinity need uh, dominance, you know, it's so productive. Right. And, and, uh, <laughs> um, but I was going to say, there's a line, Charles Bernstein says something about, he's never more Jewish than when he's wondering why he's Jewish, something like that. Okay. And so I sort of feel like I'm never more doing visual poetry than when I'm wondering why? what I'm doing or why, well, why I'm doing it, but what I'm doing. <laughs> and it's sort of always kind of that exploration of, of, of being awareness of what the, of what it is. Is it a poem? Is it visual? Is it something in between? Is it like, where does this fit? And how does this find a way of um, connecting to people? That makes sense. So I, I, I read, uh, I, th I'm, I think I read it on your blog, there was an interview with a student uh, um, from a while back. I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. But um, she, I think it, I learned there that you uh, studied with a BP Nickel. Mm -hmm. 
that's interesting to learn. Yeah, uh, I, um, I mean, that's it's it's surprising how I just I took two years of classes with him, and yeah. it's a long time ago. Um, so you know, I was eighteen or twenty or something. Yeah. So um, and I'm what am I now? I'm fifty six. Um, no, I'm older than you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, age is a strange thing as to what that means. And also even as a writer, looking back at literary history and, and as things evolve, having lived through all of that and seeing how where that relationship is with things that um, it, um, new ideas or as ideas evolve or different relationships to to the, the tradition. It's yeah, I find that really interesting. But yeah, he, he was um, really foundational for me, um, both in terms of um, as a writer and as also somebody who participates in community. So yeah. I think both of those things, but also that, you know, it made perfect sense um, to just try everything, right? Like why couldn't you be this experimental poet and write, do stuff for kids and write fiction and just try visual stuff and be do sound poetry. It just made, it would seem entirely natural and it fit with my, um, it gave me, well, they say, give, gave me permission. I mean, it just confirmed yeah. what I was doing anyway, I guess. But, oh, that's, you can do that. And you don't need to feel like it's this rare thing where you, like writing a poem is like this bird that you have to carefully I know. You know, coddle it. And that's it. You've only got this one, and everybody's only got this sort of the one precious bird. Yeah. It's this big, floppy, messy thing that you just can keep, you just you're, have a relationship to making. And that's your, and you just continue to make and shape and, um as part of like a really multivalent engagement with the the world i guess which is what i really learned from him and also being part of community which is part of being creative doing lots of collaborations yeah. um trying to support people and community trying to um build build connections between people between um to have, provide opportunities uh for the work and for the art form in general, but also for people who are making that. I mean, to me, that seemed really something to aspire to and doing small yeah. press publishing and other kinds of publishing, just the whole range of it. Um, and actually, a lot of my um, professors at that time, I was at York University, were like that in the music department where I was formally studying. Right. I, um, there were, a lot of my professors ended up were um, collaborating um, even say with even with BP, the people, some people from the CCMC were you would perform with the Four Horsemen, and right. in fact, my main, one of my main professors, a saxophone teacher, David Mott, a composer and saxophone teacher, wrote an opera um, with BP, um, which was this amazing. Like, of course, yeah. that like why wouldn't why would there be why would there be the genre division, you know, across campus that they would be doing that, but if, as opposed to just being just making stuff in Toronto was kind of magical at that time. It felt like it was a really a moment where there was so much interesting things happening. This is in the early and mid eighties where yeah. just so many things and so many um, collaborations and, and um, um, so much um, uh, um, cross genre stuff was happening. It just seemed completely natural and, and completely exciting to me as a young student. Did you, were you, uh, was that maybe, uh, was he your introduction to concrete poetry or were you already sort of, had you already seen some of that before? I had a little bit, I, but I think that in, in, I mean, I had, 
my my idea of like a, a perfect night when I was a teenager would be like my parents would go to bed, I'd sneak a beer from the fridge, yeah. I'd go I'd go into the dining room and have just one dim light on. I'd get a book of like an anthology of poetry and I'd copy the poem down in mm. in 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 with in watercolors and I'd draw images around it and I would just and I would do that that and that you know while I'm drinking a beer. And it was like and I would write my own stuff. And it was but the idea just that, you know, text and visuals and making them together. together we're all um, part of it. Um, uh, so I was I was already thinking in those terms. I suppose I was doing lots of visual work, but to actually think of visual poetry um, or concrete poetry as a um, as a really as a possibility as a writer, I guess it was mostly through BP. I think, and at the time there was all sorts of other stuff happening in Toronto, but he certainly was the center for for that and for a lot of concerns that I've continued to. Um, to explore. My favorite poet when I went in was, to classes at York was Seamus Heaney, who I still love yeah. um, for many reasons. And I mean, not least of which is the tactility and the, and the, 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 um, the texture of the language. Um, however, BP's class really, and BP's practice really blew open my, my world in terms of what the things I was interested in doing and trying. Like I did avant-garde music before, but I was interested right. in doing sound poetry particularly. Uh, have, having um, worked with him. That's great. That's great. We were just talking too about uh, about color in your work, and and I don't know. I I, I noticed, like for instance, I have in front of me uh, three of your books. I've got Quantum Typography. I've got The Wild and Unfathomable uh, Quantum Typography, Tim Glossett editions. The Wild and Unfathomable Always from uh, is it is Xeroxial? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know how to. Is I it, think so. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever pronounced that out loud before, actually. So, so Michael, and I, if I pronounced it wrong, I apologize. And then, of course, uh, the latest Amper, Ampersand Thropocene by um, Pentrack Press. And, and one thing, uh, and also I have on my wall a, couple, a pamphlet with, um, with some of your uh, visual, very colorful visual poems. And at one point we talked about how you were using the palette of, um, of um, the artist, um, for one of them, Roy Lichtenstein. So it's all, mm -hmm. it's all very interesting. Your use of color is very interesting um, fr from, um, if you can use color, uh, you, like that's one of the things that, when I started uh, making visual poetry, for me, I was, I was, um, it was in response to my own synesthesia. And mm -hmm. I, I associate um, uh, with uh, letters and, and words and things, I, I associate color. So I was basically trying to get match the color with the letter and things like that. And I noticed at the start that it didn't feel like I was seeing because I was, I, first of all, I was new and searching around, but there were, I didn't see a lot of color. So especially because for printing, it's expensive too, so you can't. Yeah. But one of the people whose work I saw online in color was yours. Like, I think it was Dan Weber's. Everyone was posting on, he had like a site where a bunch of us were posting our work. And this was so yes. long ago now, I'm, I, I can barely remember. But I remember, you know, so that one, both you and Judith Copthorne were two influences for me because you were doing color and it felt like it was not, like sometimes it feels like color was a kind of a thing you didn't do, you daren't do somehow. It felt like there was a little bit of, uh, I don't know, I just, it didn't feel like it was uh, that respectable, which I also like, but, uh, but <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I was interested in that. And I, I have noticed that especially, uh, uh, you 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 use uh, uh, primary colors. You you get to like I noticed in the latest book, for instance, and 
Ampersanthropocene. I have to look at the title so I can pronounce it right. But um, it's great. It's great. But I mean, you start off. You start off with basically primary colors, and you, you kind of you get more. You get into the secondaries, and you and then you start getting to faded, and then close-ups and things like that. So I, I I mean, what's your what's your relationship with color? What's it? I noticed you said you you were making poems with um, watercolors and stuff like you were. Mm. Coffee. So that's interesting. What's your what's your relationship to color and, and for especially for the poems or the visual poems and um no thank you. That's yeah, no, it's interesting to think about that. I mean, I guess it's the same thing as um what I was saying was to try and um think of like the um dimensionality of, of the work. So mm -hmm. okay, a work can exist. So to think of it in in three-dimensional space or multiple dimensional space and, and color mm. is certainly one of the parts of parts of it i mean I, I was thinking actually about you're talking about the kind of classic vispo which has you know in black and white which yeah. i mean of course there's a beautiful elegance and it relates to printing yeah. and publishing traditions i mean it's a little bit like those greek statues which are all in one color even though they were actually painted in vivid colors when they were um in in, in actual um ancient greece um mm. I mean, I guess I just think of it as it's like, you know, you could write a piece for piano or you and then you can take that piano piece and you can set it for orchestra or you can actually also write a piece write for orchestra that exists. Um, it exists in those timbres and that's in, integral to the way it's um, the way it operates. And so I guess I do think um, I mean, I do think that that rather than uh, um, Rather than just thinking of it in one dimension, I'm trying to think. I mean, I do naturally think of it in multiple in multiple dimensions. Yeah. Color is it's one of those things that's there. Just that, given the tools that I'm often working with, not not only, but also I think that um, especially when you're using the screen, it's you want to use um, the possibilities that are there and also have it speak to um, um, what the screen does well. And so, color is one of the things that screen a screen does well. And so, a lot of a lot, of course, so does printing and publishing. And so now that that's more accessible, you, you yeah. can print um, in color much more readily. And more, um, I'm I'm also thinking of that in terms of, of what that does in, in a in a book form. And, and there's a there's a level of um, I mean, of course, it's vivid, it's um, it's vibrant, and then you can you can weight the shapes and you can weight and it's taking language. Yeah. It also, you know, part of it is taking language out of this sort of platonic abstraction of, you know, pure form and making yeah. it material and 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 right there, which includes all of the, you know, all of the possibilities. I mean, for me, if Photoshop had a smell function, I would yeah. have the colors, you know, I would have the colors Great. and the shapes <laughs> and I would have them smell. And because, you know, I mean, I now I think, OK, well, I can put sound to this. So I make videos with sound because, of course, like, why wouldn't I want to just go as um as multidimensional as possible. But then there's also that lovely, um, the deliciousness of pulling back and just having something yeah. simple in, in black and white without sound. I mean, there's some, but that's also now in relationship to the possibility. It doesn't have to be that way, but it becomes a choice just to look at something with, maybe it's kind of quieter and more, um, um, it's, it's just looking at one particular aspect of, 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 of an idea, I guess, rather than this whole Gestumpkin work of um, <laughs> work of every, you know everything at once and people in Viking hats, you know, singing their um, heads off above basset horns or whatever. You've just now made me want to want we want to write a Vispo opera. Now, now I think that's oh now 
now now we're talking <laughs> yeah 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 doesn't that sound great because i have already got the viking hats and the and move i, I can't do animation <laughs> i i wish i could it's not something i i've i've i haven't done any any workshops or anything so i i probably could but i mean it's just that i i don't seem to have the patience for what goes mm. into animating you know frame by frame and i just i so but i i but uh Every time I, I often think of uh, my own work in terms of like the Vispo Bible, I, I totally imagine a, a fly through, a 3D fly through of it, like in through the work. Oh, as it, it, it and, yeah, yeah, like making it as if it was um, 3D rendering of the work. Right, and so you're the actual. It's an actual physical landscape. The the, yeah. the Vispo Bible is actually a, a landscape that you can that you could navigate yeah. through. No, no, absolutely. But I mean, I so don't you think of text that way anyway? I mean, even if I'm I reading, do. I mean, I'm doing it with my my you're my moving, thought, or my, brain, or my eyes, your or, mind, <laughs> just and just the way yeah. it comes at you. I mean, Absolutely. it seems like rather than it just um, unfolding line by line, letter by letter, it just feels like it's that potentiality is in there. It's its secret okay. inner life of of um, text. Actually, one thing I just wanted to say um, was we were talking about BP and yeah. early, early on he the, um, he did a, a early computer poetry. Um, I yeah. forget what it's called. First draft, I think it might be called. First something. Maybe yeah. it might be first draft. He did these things on the Apple II, very, very basic. Yeah. Like it was for like a you know blank screen with little green letters moving. Very simple animation done in basic, I think. And But yet I learned that with very, very simple means, um, but with the right idea, you can create really rich effects. So yes, it's super basic um, animation. Sometimes it's just a text, you know, a word moving across the screen, but with the right... Um, with the right text, the right content, the right um, idea, you can have make it just be this rich, complicated um, experience. Even if you have even more than if you had like a team of Disney animators going crazy doing, you know, animating the you know BP the BP the live action movie, right? Uh, um, they, um, you know, I so I I've, I guess I thought a lot about that with how how with very simple technical means. So even if I don't know how to animate or don't know, I'm not really great at Photoshop or great at whatever by thinking about about what um, the medium allows and what's possible um, and by by kind of trying to be alive to its possibilities, you can create really rich effects, even though you're not a, you know, technical wizard. And then of course, you know, you, you acquire skills as you go along too, but you always need to and keep lose that. And too. And so, so in my case, right, which is great. Yeah. Right. Or you, or you miss you and you misuse them or you, you, you make a mistake and then it's, yeah. you know, and then, and then you find, find yourself in sort of, you know, uh, delightful circumstances to try and figure, to try and imagine your way out of, just like when I, you know, drive around town happens, you know, I <laughs> have to figure out how did I get here and what did I, and how does this car thing work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Don't arrest me officer. I am a visual poet. It, that's that's right. it's all this pro privilege process over, over, you know, over result. Come on. It's on, it's on your driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> So uh, speaking of technical stuff, I guess you, I, I noticed you're getting into using the Max visual programming language of late to make videos. I read on your blog. And so, and you recently took a class and you also used it many years ago. What made you decide to return to it? Uh... Yes, yeah, so the Max language is a, it's an object oriented programming yeah. language. It was originally made for music. And so I, years ago for my PhD, I did in music composition, I studied using Max and I actually used it with what I was doing was I was tracking a, a spoken text and mm -hmm. then taking the data from the performance and making a piano part or making an accompaniment part from the text. And also it was also live processing what the spoken 
um, what, uh, it was also processing the speaker's uh, voice and adding, creating an accompaniment based on the features of tracking the rhythm and the, and the uh, volume and the uh, other aspects of it. So um, it was really um, interesting way to transform and, in, and, and investigate creatively text yeah. um, sound as well. So because of the pandemic, um, there was a, um, uh, a composer in Switzerland who was basically looking to create work and created a series of um, courses wow. in, in Max. Uh, Tobias uh, Raber is a really interesting composer and creative thinker. Um, and so I took the course because I'd been I'd bought the program and I'd been fiddling around with it. Um, and now this is 25 years later since I first used it. You can do all sorts of live di digital processing um, and all sorts of also digital digital music processing, digital visual processing. So I, so I started out making pieces, music pieces using yeah. using the program, writing um, uh, writing pieces um, using text uh, and and. Um, exploring that and then it's like oh wait there's this whole part of the program that lets you do visuals and that'd be that again it's the same thing it's like going into color well there's a possibility here like, what yeah. what can I do and so um, and the other and the other thing that really interests me is transformation has always been something so you yeah. take something and you transform it somehow whether visually um, or uh, mapping yeah. some yeah or, or you okay. can map some feature like I described in that piece some feature of this spoken uh, text uh, you can then map that into music and map it into sound, or you can map it into color, or you can map it into into visuals. And so there's this um, how some feature of one thing can be mapped into the other. I mean, it's a kind of um, cross sensory translation, I guess. So there's some element of it stays the same, but it, I mean, maybe unrecognizably so. But the actual kind of deep structure is related in somehow, and so. I mean, I guess that feels like communicating between people. I feel like I'm, we're the same, but I'm communicating by transforming and we need sure. to sort of, or, or I don't know, we're trying, uh, um, so I, I, and I guess that's my interest is to be able to, um, well, I mean, just to try out new things and to, to create, to create, be able to create um, interesting visuals, but also then to relate it to the, relate it to music and relate it to text and see what, how those um, different, um, uh, different um, areas can inform each other and then create sort of creating a kind of um, it's like another sense that's a combination of all of those senses right like the quintessence is the fifth essence <laughs> right and so this would be the whatever whatever sense right? it's going in the vispo opera that the fifth the fifth essence is going in there i think it's yeah the character in the in the it, it'll be like a, the chorus or something or the shadow that comes out you know the We'll have a shadow fifth essence that will just sort of wipe the screen in different colors, and I'm, I'm imagining this uh, the invisible, 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 the invisible hand of the market. That's what yeah. it is coming and making us well rich off our Vispo. <laughs> rich off. We, we're retired to Vispo Island. Um, <laughs> you know, this is this is how we're. These are the wonders. This is this is good. I was also thinking about the concept of transformation. Sometimes. It also, um, when you when you take something and you turn it into, or some aspect of it into something different, it kind of makes you understand the original better too. Like I found whenever I've worked hmm. with a source text or something, when I've played with it in various ways, like um, sometimes I'll 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 use like an Uli poet um, technique, like the opposite, where I'll take someone's poem, like a poem by Sean Braun, and I'll change it into, I'll take it and I'll try to make the opposite of each word. So, and then that makes me understand the original better because mm -hmm. I have to understand how everything functions in order to write what 
so-called opposite I'm trying to come up with. So yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You privilege in one aspect, so it's almost, it become the work becomes like a, a schematic or a, or a visualization of it. So yeah. like I'm thinking of like Derek Bullias has done a number of um, conceptual pieces that take a take a novel like yeah. Flatland or take um, uh, Paul Auster's um, Ghosts yeah. and like ghosts, every time it mentions the character Blue or or Mr. Blue or Miss Miss Mrs. Brown or I forget I forget the names, but Mr. Black, those colors erase everything, but then has a little um, rectangles of of color where though that word black or blue, which is a yeah. character, and then so you see you you see the interactions between those characters, and so but in an abstracted form, so you see outside of the plot, outside of the distraction of all the words, you yeah. see, um, you know how the interactions work and how in a very abstracted way. Um, I mean, I did that with, um, I did a translation uh, or a version of Shakespeare's sonnets where I took, yeah. all, took all the words out and just had the, the punctuation, but I spelled out the punctuation, so comma, yeah. period. And so what it does, and I've performed those as well, and what it does is it shows you the kind of pacing, the structure of what is, um, of, of how those sonnets work without, yeah, without all those annoying words to distract you. You just see the, you just see the kind of internal rhythm of it and the like comma comma period right you, just, so you, you learn something about the original right i did i remember it was about 2008 i think or 2009 where i took a bunch of shakespeare's sonnets and i i, I replaced all the nouns with blue and so i have things in my mind like in thy blue we desire blue and all it was just became mm. really it was a lot of fun just it was all blue though <laughs> it was a very very fun uh, thing. But then, to do. but then, but then you learn. I mean, not only about the sonnets, but then blue yeah. becomes this carrier for all these subtle yeah. um, responses, right? And how it and and every time it recurs, it 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 has a slightly different aspect, as it. It, and it has a different pacing. Yeah, I mean, it. I and think it didn't the, always work because the nouns were used sometimes not the same way each time, so I couldn't always stick them in. Like they wouldn't work in some cases, right? So yeah, on the function of the noun, which was which made me contemplate the concept of a noun. So, I mean, you know, all that stuff is uh, is important and fun. Play oh, no. is important, I think. Sometimes I think, uh, uh, the interview I did with Richard Kapener was about his uh, online literary journal, the Babel Tower Notice Board, and it's, it's mm -hmm. uh, reasons um, for existence are, are pleasure, play, heresy, and uh, and I can't <laughs> remember resistance. And Anyway, it's, 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 but I mean, that's it. I'm always looking for, uh, fellow kindreds who who understand what we're playing and, and that we're playing and playing is a good thing. You know, it's a good way of exploring and learning more as well. So I mean, those are all kinds of synonyms. I mean, they feel yeah. synonymous. I mean, play, yeah. error, exploration, yeah. discovery, examination. I mean, intuition. I mean, those are all kinds of play or even like you construct a system, but you're open to having the system not work or be the wrong thing or have it break down or have it... Um, or even following it through and the ridiculousness, the play of following some ridiculous system, like you're <laughs> driving on some bizarre <laughs> jalopy that you've committed to taking through to the end, right? I mean, there's something, there can be something playful about about that. Yeah, there can be. Yeah, so, so and, and speaking, well, I don't know, we're not really going to, we're going to be doing a lot of non-sequiturs because that's just the way I, I I talk and sing anyway. I think also the way you, you and I both. So um, there was, um, I guess, as part of your writer in residence position at U of T Scarborough, you had a great uh, video talk with Danny Spinoza and Michael. And I was at Sikema or Sikema. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. Oh, uh, Sikema. 
Sycamore. I thought it was Sycamore, yeah. but I always want to say Sycamore. So there you go, Michael. <laughs> uh, so as part of your, the writer re residence program, I'll put up the link to that as well. How visual poetry will change your life. It was fantastic. First of all, I like the way you opened it with, you were wearing a, a, one shirt and with a, a, a visual poetry reference on, and then you took that off and there was another one, but there's like a layer of visual. <laughs> it was fantastic. You could do that at a reading. It would be terrific. You could do that. Uh, if, I, if I was really committed, I'd have visual poetry tattoos on my body, but I... Oh, well, I yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm not no, but, committed to the tattoo. My life is a tattoo enough for me, but I love tattoos. <laughs> so I, I loved uh, Danny's answer about what is visual poetry. She said, if you change the font, you change the poem. I thought that was mm -hmm. really cool. Mike talked about the speed at which you can understand it, like a kid who hasn't learned to read, yet making sense of comic books. And you talked about how you can communicate to people who don't even speak the same language. You mentioned how everywhere we go, there's, there's visual languages. So I just wanted to acknowledge that um, that uh, was quite... Um, interesting that uh, just the concept of what visual poetry is and the idea that visual language is all over the place. And uh, I read a romance novel <laughs> uh, not long ago um, in my escape reading. Uh, and it was about this woman who actually made, um, she made uh, like signs and she made different sort of, um, uh, I guess like calligraphy and stuff like that for people for their weddings and stuff like that. So mm. she met this guy and they, what they did is they went around New York City and they basically looked at all the different signs and they looked at the typography and stuff like it was really cool i thought wow what a good idea for a book but yeah so visual visual language is everywhere so they should have a kind of like a you know a grinder or or uh you know um okay cupid where you put your favorite fonts and you, you just to connect people by like oh no i'm not i don't do sound sans serif no 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 no, no i've no, had so no many bad comic songs that's yeah, it yeah, no, already right. But I, I also think that, you know, like pareidolia is where you see things that look like faces. Mm -hmm. And I just think that there are things that even if they're not act, and they're not when they're not actually faces. And I think that's also the same thing with visual language or oh, text yeah. that things that look that graphical. That, yeah. yeah. Like even just that that kind of bend in a in, in a tree reminds you of a bend in a in a, a letter. You know, a, it has something about that. And this I mean, I guess it's kind of scenic writing, but just generally that we we're, we have a frame to, 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 we have a deep, a rich response to, to textual language. And so we see it in the world and we have that. So I have the same, maybe I feel a particular tenderness to a curve in the, in, in the letter C. And then I see some of that, cur that curve and it evokes that feeling to me when I see a certain kind of curve in, I don't know, it's a sidewalk or a, you know, or a shopping bag or something like it just, I might respond to it with the same range of, um, kind of uh, feelings to the materiality and to the to the proportions and to the suggestiveness of everything that's associated to me say with that letter c i think of the sounds i think of the word all the words i know i think of all all the fonts that might have that like all of that stuff is interconnected then and facilitated through this um you know um uh um connection that i make in the world with c-ness or with with letterness or with languageness that's it that's it yeah no that that's interesting uh, the next person i'm interviewing at the end of the month is clara clara duplessis and uh we're talking about her book hell light flesh but we'll also talk about eke which is rather in both the books she uses uh, um basically she a lot of times she'll describe the landscape in terms of the line and in terms mm -hmm. of, of what feels like a very visual but also a very handwriting and writing sort of sort of way so i find it interesting to see that in in uh, the, the visual poetry of poetry do you know what i mean like that sort oh, of oh yeah you know. I also think that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in this kind of relationship between, so if you make a letter or if you see a letter, yeah. somebody 
did some did somebody make a letter? What is, what is like on the other side of that letter? I sort of feel like as I'm looking at to me feels like as I'm looking at a letter on the page. Well, somebody made like somebody printed that, but also like as if somehow what was the what's the page eye view of that letter or what's the like, page I just feel, you know like what's the what's the relationship to the to like the people in connection to that letter or if I press a button on my keyboard. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about all of the stuff around that letter and, you know, above and below yeah. and and it, almost historically too, like, oh, that's a letter that may have existed in, you know, the year 300. And what what would the person who wrote that letter K think of it now? Look, look where it's been or or that, le- or that letter K goes back to then or what's, what's that letter K going to be like in, in a thousand years? Like, is it going to, is that going to exist? Or will people look at, oh, look at those, that quaint letter K form back you, from... Instead people, of this... Uh, Theta T or whatever they're using. Right, or instead before before we had like neural implants, they we used That's letters. Right. Think of think of dividing the language up into 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 words or a grammar or or letters or like I don't know. And so it's that feels like it's um i mean that's a science fiction vispo i suppose but yeah uh, well that's great and part of the vispo opera now is going to have uh, the, uh, <laughs> the view of the future and sort of we're seeing how communication happens and i don't know we'll we'll, we'll, have, we'll have to have some vispo bots and things no, I have the, the, orth, the orthonauts or ortho, the orthonauts. yeah the orthonauts come for the uh yeah the typo bots uh and yeah <laughs> we could we could yeah we could definitely do this we could do this this is this is great <laughs> All we need is another another lockdown, and we're there. No, no. Okay. So, and so, uh, speaking of, I guess, uh, Danny. Um, so you've done a lot of collaborations and responses to Visual Poets' work, especially lately. For example, typewriter music and typewriter funk in response to Danny's OO typewriter poems. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, you and I did a great collaboration, uh, uh, Bone Sapling, uh, the, the mm-hmm. chapbook. It was really fun to work with you on. And uh, so. Um, You've talked about building a community through dialogue and why visual poetry is so great for that. Can you can you elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I guess I in general do a lot of collaboration, yeah. and it's it's again, it's just we're in relationship, not being so um, how should I say, not being so precious about about oh, I have this special vision yeah. that work, as opposed to just it's playing with the material, it's exploring the material, and so then to be able to go to further places with somebody else and how they think of it. And also if the process is really part of what's really interesting and the surprises of the process, well, I'm having another person working on it, you know, maybe it confounds or frustrates me what they do. And then I have to think, okay, how can I integrate that into the process? It doesn't confound me or, or, or frustrate me more than my own process does itself. But sometimes it's like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. That's not how I was thinking of it. Now I have to expand how I'm thinking of it. And I find that really, productive and and uh i mean it's good for me i think it's good for me as a person but it's certainly good for the work in terms of just trying to be more open and and be more flexible and to be able to uh see um uh broader possible broader possibilities so um so i i mean i do a collaboration in all of the forms that i work with i it does seem that visual poetry um like i see something cool and i wanted to sort of play with it and you know uh, i know i love that you know, explore another element of it, you know, maybe change it in color, maybe, you know, maybe um, it's a little bit like the, what in high school, reader response, right? You want to engage, but also, um, so there's that kind of responding to somebody's work when we're collaborating, but not necessarily, um, like I'm looking at their work and then creating creating a response to it, as opposed to working on a project with people, which I've done many, um, many times also. 
like like the, the way we did it, like one kind of one after the other, kind of uh, using some elements, but in in riffing off each other, or actually working on the same actual piece and adding, yeah. you know. At, um, and so, I mean, to me, it's just being able to see different um, um, different possibilities. Like, I don't know if if I looked in my kitchen and there was a certain number of uh, of ingredients, different cooks would make different things based That's on great. their knowledge and traditions. Like, oh, I never thought of doing that with it. And then we could maybe working together, throwing in a pinch of this and pinch of that based on what we, um, uh, you know, our our experiences or our. Um, ideas uh and there's also i guess this is a quite a tradition in visual poetry of, of responding back and yes. forth anyway right. creating variations it's a very variation-y form if you create one thing and then you could modify it by adding something else or changing it in some element and then seeing it as it goes through the different iter iterations so it, it seems quite natural to do that and often the process is like that too which is if you're doing it on say if you're using it on photoshop well you you take something and then you change it and then you add to it or then you so doing it with somebody else it's i mean it is you can do that certainly with um pen and paper absolutely you draw one line and somebody has the next line and yeah you know um and again it's also but it's also part of um seeing writing as a dialogue as a discourse always of i mean uh, being just being part of this big swirling um communication uh as a sea of communication that you know you could just jump in at any point i feel yeah and just participate in it yeah i think that's one of the things that i really love about the the sort of uh visual poetry community like my some of the some of the um especially i i think back to dan Weber's site and the way uh, he sort of set it up so we could all upload stuff and this was like for me, this was like, I don't know, maybe 2005 or mm -hmm. 2006, something like that. And I, I, got, I was, that's where I started to see other people's work, I think, and uh, from other countries as well. And also with social media as well, like Facebook has all kinds of groups. People are yeah. sharing their work there. I'm not necessarily seeing some of those people's work in, in say, uh, um, books or other places, but I, I or chat books or whatever. Or, uh, but I've seen a lot of great stuff. And some, some. What's really great about visual poetry too is that you don't necessarily need to speak the same language in order to work together. Like um, uh, I know, like seeing uh, the work of Satu Kikonen from Finland and Mar Martin uh, Kopanyi from uh, Hungary, where the, the was my early, more color work that I saw that I really admired. But uh, right away, we I was seeing their work, they were seeing my work, we were we were talking, and I was publishing them in like Experimento and things like that. Or, right. So, you know, I mean, but I mean that just, that I find visual poetry is probably because of that. I mean, we're not really talking about, I don't know, it's just, there's something about it that seems to just create this community or that of people from all over the world, which is something that I love about it, that yeah, it's not constrained by, by a language, for instance. And I also think that it's kind of marginal enough that people look for each other, like, yeah. you know, some, <laughs> you know, specialist in, in, you know, 16th century, um, banjo repair you know <laughs> they're, they're those seven people who are into it and they find each other that's um, um but no but absolutely this it's definitely the case and there's also some relationship to male art and uh, i think back in, yeah. in that it those things were passed before passed i mean before those things were passed around and were sent to each other and so there was yeah. a kind of a network feel but also a kind of a collaboration feel and people publishing each other and working with each other i think which is yeah no absolutely it's a tremendous international uh community and i really like it on social media in that um 
I mean, I like arguing. The, people aren't arguing. <laughs> right. I know it's a really constructive, creative way to use social media to connect, yeah. but without um, um, and kind of in a way, it's deterring it by making turning it into art. It's not for what you know the uh, capitalist commodifiers want. Exactly. It's creating this most um, useless of things, which is visual poetry. But it's of mm -hmm. course, but it's also the you know inspiring and beautiful and connective and communicative and exploratory and all those things, which are valuable but a hard but but not really commodifiable so sure. we um so i think i mean i like that for my social media feed it's filled with, with it's filled with poetry and writing and lots and lots of visual poetry so it's a it's a um it's like going to a cafe you know like the ideal cafe where everybody's doing their creative work it's but it's all this visual poetry that's that i'm that i'm seeing from all these um people and then also if you like it you can communicate with the person that's right, right. You get a book you can't necessarily say oh i like this page now i'm going to talk to this page but you can yeah you can you do should. it right you know so I, so i do really like um i do really like that and then it also visual poetry operates on the margins of um it does of popular culture and of of, com of commercial culture because it sometimes uses elements of of design and advertising and publication all of that so it i think the way it intersects online and social media is interesting that it can it can play with some of that and even like it's playing with i don't know instagram or something where it's about photographs well okay but they're photographs of you and your food or you and your dog right but you can but it's also perfect for posting you and you know posting your visual poems that's it i've been doing my i've been taking part in inktober which is uh this mm -hmm. thing on social media on instagram where it's supposed to be it was supposed to be pen and ink basically for th for the full month of october people posted their pen and ink, and the idea was that they're getting better at drawing but they then they started to say well i mean i don't think anyone has to pay attention to the rules per se, but I started to see people posting in color. I said, oh, maybe I can do. So I've been doing this whole thing for years. I have this world called Upper Zygonia that I go to for various reasons in my head. It's an imaginary <laughs> world. I've been, I, and like, I think it was like maybe two years ago, I started to combine it with a scenic writing. So I would like, you know, make a building with a scenic writing. And oh, I'm a nice. terrible but I'm a terrible, like, I am really not good at drawing. Like, okay, I, so it's, it's kind of hilarious, the results, but I love color. So a combination of either watercolor or mark, magic marker or whatever. So for the month of October, I've been posting these um, on Instagram, these uppers, the, you know, there's a library of uppers I go and I just did this, the, the lady of the sparrows, you know, and I, now I want to write a poem, a long poem. Oh, wow. oh I missed that somehow. I have to go check it out. I don't know how I, mm -hmm. it's the, the problem, the problem with social media is you don't get to see the things you want necessarily oh, I know. algorithm. So I like, I don't know how I missed it, but, um, but then no, that sounds fascinating. And then also the idea about social media is because it's um, it exists in relationship to time, although that's complicated because it's not necessarily people don't see it in relationship to the time you actually posted it. No, it's some kind of thing when they're looking at it. And I know I, I finally I finally feel like I've um, solved the overwhelming boring stuff that I get on Twitter all the time and, and instead of I was missing all kinds of great stuff. So now to be this is a nerdy moment presented to you by uh, by someone who uses Twitter a lot. I use TweetDeck and what I do, because I have to, I have a different account for my own account and then for ByWords, so that's why I'm mm. using a thing called TweetDeck, which you can have multiple accounts. But on my own account, what I do is I, I have, I make lists and I have columns. So I have, I have a, a Vispo list, for instance, and I have a, I have a literary journal list. And so oh, I basically smart. just, all I do is I have like, I, I have gotten rid of that feed that just, 
just presents everything in one big mishmash. Oh, and I prefer I just, to be sort of vaguely dissatisfied with modern life and technology and to be able to, you know, <laughs> yeah. have a kind of, you know, uh, slightly hopeless railing against all of the technology that I could actually solve if I was as smart as you and actually <laughs> but this way it's just this vague and settling feeling which creates more more work. So, you know. But no, that's a great, that is a really good idea. It I, works really well. Like I, I've learned, like, I, I, I find out about all kinds of um, art. And one, one of the things is um, I have an art list, and on the list is SETI, which is the, um, I can't remember what the initials stand for, but they're about exploring the scientific exploration of whatever, anyway, of other planets and, yeah. and like that is interstellar things. And so they have an artist in residence program there, I learned. And I've been looking at people's photos of Mars and, and you know, even there have been some visual poems as well, though they don't call themselves visual poets, but they've they're doing visual poetry. Mm. They're using text in as an element in their art. So, and that of course inspires all kinds of things. So, so Upper Zygonia is part of the Zygonian galaxy, oh, right. and right. there's a greater and lesser, and there's a you know the greater is smaller than than the lesser. The lesser is big, you know. And I kind of I'm playing with uh, Voltaire's uh, you know Micromegas and all these stories and, and uh, Le Petit Prince and all this stuff. So it's just like nice. it's a good time. I find that right now it's necessary for me to engage more with my imagination and kind of to help me get through this time because uh, mm. you know, it's, it's, uh, that's another thing I find. I, I, are you able to like what during the pandemic, you've been working a lot on these videos using this software and is that sort of being one of your primary uh, things that you've been able to work on at this time or are you? No, I've done, I've actually, I don't know why, maybe it's just uh, taking the, disquiet and uncertainty yeah. and just trying to be to take channeling that energy into something but I've done a ton of different kinds of writing um I finished the edits on my novel that's coming out and, and I'm about a sixth okay. of the way through another novel um oh. that I've been working on and I've written a couple I did a couple of collaborative books of poetry and I did yeah. I wrote a whole bunch of other poems of my own and plus like I did a whole lot of stuff in a way because um I mean <laughs> A lot of what I do is I make stuff at home and then I go for walks in, or hikes in the woods or yeah. kayaking or something. And I talk to people on social media and hang out with my, you know, uh, with my family and, yeah. you know, maybe and maybe have, uh, you know, um, have friends over in the backyard. So I'm kind of doing the same thing. So I found but I, so I found this increased sense of need for connectivity and for, of, of, for, yeah. for exchange kind of it's kind of focusing us down to, to that being more. Um, being central because we were, because first of all the lack of distraction of like going to going out to work or people going out to other events, I found I've kind of leaned in on 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 communicating with people and yeah. and, and sharing work and reading their work and collaborating with them. So in the end, I I've done a lot. I found it quite. Uh, I mean, yes, it's it's anxiety provoking and and very disquieting. At the same time, I'm also. Um, I found it a very productive time and, and in that sense of uh, doubling down on some of the things that are important to me, like communication and yes. collaboration and sharing work. Um, and also just trying to figure out what the hell's going on in some very abstract way that goes, comes into my write, it comes into my writing um, and all the kinds of writing that I'm, that I'm doing, you know, what, what exactly is important to me and what is important to me in the world and how do I, how am I thinking of that and how am I thinking of, the body and of materiality and of distance and of how things unfold in time and like all of those things have become um, some of the concerns that I've um, been in investigating as part as part of like trying to navigate my way through this strange 
time, I think. Yeah, and I, I was telling you, I think on Twitter that I, I've been, I started reading Yiddish for Pirates a couple of days mm -hmm. ago, and I'm so engaged. Actually, I want to stop doing things just so I can read it. It's, it's a page turner, which surprised me. I wasn't expecting a page turner. <laughs> You know, and uh, also just it's just so so interesting and fun to read. And what what interests me too is is um, the the great love of reading in there, the importance of books, and especially yeah. books that are bad and 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 for Jewish people too. That there's sort of the the way you know it goes back far enough that we're seeing how they've been you know mistreated and and censored and all of these different things. And it's just so great to read all that together. And I really feel there's a visual poetry aspect to the book as well, because you've got the letters are there, you know, it's, it's all there. So it feels like, um, I, I guess I want to say that being Jewish is a big part of your creativity, it seems. And, and, and uh, so can you talk about that and also talk about your work? For instance, I, I saw you working with Hebrew letters, for example, which was really beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess I have, um, I've really, the, since I actually wrote that novel or, or in the process of writing it, I really was thinking more about Jewishness and what that yeah what that meant to me. Um, and one of the things that has always mesmerized me, uh, fascinated me about Judaism is it's, well, two things. One is that it privileging question and not knowing, and there's no answers to anything. Mm -hmm. It's all about inquiry, like that Charles Bernstein thing I, I was saying yeah. about, I'm never more Jewish than when I um, I'm asking, you know, I'm, I'm wondering about why, how I'm Jewish, why I'm Jewish, but also, um, um, so that open spirit of inquiry is interesting. It's which is about play and confusion and all the things we're talking about, but also it's specifically to the letters, this sort of, and I take this pataphysically, not literally, but yeah. the idea that the letters, the Hebrew letters existed before the world. So mm -hmm. they, 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 list, they existed out there and the world was sort of made from them. I mean, in the beginning was the words, right? But it, mm -hmm. so, so that they exist and the, wor and, the, and the world was made from the letters. So that the idea that they have their own, um, their own presence, their own, their own being, like yes. whatever that means. Um, when I was a, a kid, I did bar mitzvah lessons and went right. to Hebrew school. And so, but I, so I was exposed to a lot of Hebrew texts, but none of which I knew what it meant. I could sound out the words, but I mostly didn't know what it meant. So these beautiful inscrutable letters that have this associative richness um, and also make sound um, and work completely differently than English letters, but I knew, but I had access to them, but I didn't know what they meant, which was probably good because I probably wasn't as interested in what they were actually saying. Um, you know, <laughs> like, do I, I don't, I don't have to sign up for what the prayers mean, but I can, I can be mesmerized by the sound of the prayers and the, you know, the, the beauty of the, of the prosody and the way they're represented visually. So that's something that's really struck me. Um, and also I think the centrality of text and of books yeah. and language in Jewish culture, um, so um, in um, uh, so that 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 the idea that the, the people of the book that the, the books as a as an object are are important and this kind of um, this kind of kabbalistic idea that a that a um, a finite text the Bible is subject to infinite interpretation because it's yeah. it's a finite representation of an infinite God therefore you can every relationship every possible way of investigating it is is, is, is it's sort of like translating translating Apollinaire but yeah, you know, exponentially, um, you know, any possible way of thinking about it. And so to me, that fits in with my um, notions as a contemporary writer. So yeah. that, um, but also, and then the idea of this, and the, the idea of the mysterious uh, as represented in, in, in language also is, um, 
and the kind of opens, opens, opens up. And also I think there's something, the other thing about Jewish tradition, which I've always liked is that the sense of the absurd and the ridiculousness and, yeah. you know, and then jokey narrative nature of what is actually can be deep understanding of something like, you know, that that's kind of fascinating. And so that novel has definitely all of that in there. One of the, one of the characters, one of the places I got the idea was there was a, he was a, essentially a rabbi who lived in, in um, Amsterdam and he was kind of lured out of retirement. He used to, and he used to be a, a pirate or a privateer and he was kind of lured out of retirement uh, for one great um, uh, exploit. And the exploit was to retrieve some Jewish books. He was ah, going to go, that go. was the treasure. So that was like, okay, that is, how can I not do that in a book, right? About Jewish pirates. Um, so there, there is that sense, you know, in, in, in the synagogue, what they have the Bible is, so it's in the Torah is wrapped in, the, in yeah. scrolls and the scrolls are in a velvet in a, it covering with, with literally with, with silver um, um, crowns on them. Wow. And then, and that they're put in there, and they're and enclosed in a in a in a special in the ark in a special um, cupboard. And so there's before when you take them out, you don't just take them out. You have to say prayers, and you open it, and then you undress it, and then you. Right. It's this sort of like, you know, if we're we're writers, how like how that amazing. is beautiful, yeah. <laughs> Although I saw, I was in India um, some years ago when I was at a I had never been to a Sikh temple, mm. and they have. So there's, there's this ancient guy there, you know, praying, and then the, to this book, and, and, and the, our tour guy said, no, no, he, he looks like the priest, but he's not, he's just guarding the book. The book is the thing. And then they showed us, there was this beautiful little room. It looked like what you'd imagine a, like a princess would sleep in. And that's where they put the book to sleep at night. It was nice. in this little jeweled bed, and they tucked, they tucked it in, tucked the book into bed. And, you know, that kind of, um, um, the, the book, the text as having its own, um, being and has its own presence outside of meaning, outside of um, some kind of commodified uh, transactional culture was is so inspiring to me. Wow, amazing! So many, so many wonders. I was wondering if you had any. Uh, do you have any readings or anything coming up that we should uh, note on the on the uh, on the site? Oh, um, do I? Um... I'm, yes, I don't know when I'm doing this, but I just recorded a video for the art bar. And so okay. they're doing some on, on, on the arts coming up their next, th their next event, I guess in November, where I'm, um, I did a, I recorded a reading. It was actually fun because I, they wanted half an hour, a half an hour reading. So I did the thing where I was pretended I was sleeping in my bed and then <laughs> I woke up and I was still in my bed and I started reading and then I brushed my teeth while I was reading and I tried to, you know, follow me around the, um, <laughs> my day to try and make it interesting on on um on zoom um and i'm hosting a really good reading right. um for lit live it's just some amazing people like we've got uh, uh Suchika murakami and uh, derek bolia and uh Lucica revolva and angela rawlings and that was amazing <laughs> yeah so so that that's lit live and that's the reading series that i'm part of organizing yes. that's coming up. um yeah i don't think i have anything 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 particular i'm just i'm always on on social media and on and posting things on YouTube regularly of videos and uh, performances. 
Yeah, sometimes, it, I, I mean, in preparation for this interview, um, I just went through your Seraph of Nottingham blog and I went through all the videos and, and anything that I could uh, that was related to visual poetry. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of fun. I, it was hard to just go through that because there's a lot of other interesting things to read. I'm like, okay, don't concentrate on other things now. Like try, try to focus on that. But uh, yeah, it's been really great. Is there anything else you want to add at this point before we, before we close or uh, some other things you want to talk about? Um, not particularly. I, I, I just think that, um, um, you know, come into visual poetry, the water's fine. No, I just like the, I just like the idea that, that a writer, I mean, I guess we've talked about this, but like the idea that a writer can just make anything, right? That you yeah. can just, you know, that anybody can just try anything just to make things, I think. No. I think that we professionalize and limit a lot of things as opposed to just, it's about that kind of exploration. And so for me, that's sort of what I, that's what I have been doing. I just kept at it. Um, I'm here. You know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've you're, you've you've explored, you've published, and you've you've written in many different kind form, many things. And I think, um, which I think is a way to be engaged as a person in on the planet in whatever it is that you do. And I think there's something um, deeply uh, subversive to the to the status quo about that, and and deeply political about feeling that you can make and engage with anything and 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 see connections and not take received boundaries and or notions of propriety or yeah. um, professionalism. Um, I do see that as um, something that is um, keeps us alive and awake and is, yeah, is, is politically important. Yeah, that's right. I, I agree with that. That's great. I, I sort of think of you as, as my whimsy twin in a way, because you, <laughs> know, you we, I, I feel like uh, just that, well, you're, you have, you're, even way more prolific than me, but, uh, but, and able to share it too, which is just great. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading more of Yiddish for Pirates and, and also seeing the Vispo version of that as well, because I think you could do that as well. And I think there could be a movie. I think that actually, I, I think that book could be a movie. I mean, I, it's absolutely, it's very visual. It's very, all the senses are there and it's so funny and also uh, very interesting. I, I, I'm waiting for the movie. I think it'll happen at some point. It'll be great from your, from your lips to the Coen brothers ears oh you'd like the coen brothers to make oh, I, think so. <laughs> I think so yeah i don't know do you have, like who would you like i don't know it just seems like i don't know i'm I'm, I'm i'm thinking of tim burton would do an interesting job on the although somehow you know when i left one thing i like about the the coen brothers when yeah. they're really on is that they get a sense of of like existential absurdity with so it's, do, it's ridiculous yeah. but philosophical that something really tremendous about it. Um, we'll see. I just my, this novel that's coming out in March is uh, is riffing off riffing off cow westerns and cowboy genre right. in the in the in the in Lithuania in the Holocaust. So that I could certainly <laughs> see them. That would sort of could fit what you know. What the, while there's the guy searching for his testicles, so that that could fit. What <laughs> man isn't right. searching for that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, but, and 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 the, the, one of the important scenes is one of the testicles because the set testicles were shot off twenty years before by yep. Sarah. So this guy is looking for his testicles, and they've fallen into a they've fallen into a glacier and frozen. So he's going to find them. And he when he finds one of them, he drops it by mistake, and it rolls down the hill, and it and it snowballs, and it destroys an entire Swiss village. So so there. There's snowballs in in work. Uh, like what is that work by uh, Stuart Ross that uh, has the word snowball? Oh, snowball, dragonfly, Jew. That's right. Oh, that's I, I, novel, I had yeah. the word snowball and Jew, but I couldn't remember the dragonfly. Yeah, it's it's, it's oh, 
Do you know, supposedly, I don't know if this is true, but supposedly that snowmen were a, were a, um, a Jewish stereotype that were, that kind of, that they were, because, you know, big noses and the hats and the, I don't know if it's actually true, but I think it was used as that in the, in the, in the past. Wow. Not, not meaning to rain on anybody's parade, because I think some men are, are tremendous, but. Um, yeah, I never know. heard that before. Now, see, every podcast, every interview, I learned something new. And it was Frostovich, right? Uh, you know, that's what it was, Marty Frostovich. It was, you know, that's what, yeah. anyway, <laughs> that's great. Uh, you know, snowmen, goldmen, you know, it's all, it's all the same. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, it's really been lovely to talk to you, Amanda. Lovely to talk to you. And and uh, so thank you. Thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, thanks to Charles for processing, to Jennifer Peterson for the theme song, and to every, all of you for listening and sharing the pod, the episode. Stay tuned for the next episode with Claire Duplessis later this month. Future episodes with Dennis Cooley. I'm very excited. To, Dennis is coming on the show. Sasha cool. Archer. Pearl Peary, Francis Boyle, and a special episode on the poetic elements of music in December featuring uh, the amazing musician Subraj Singh, who is great. So that's what we've got coming up. And, and thanks very much, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.